Wonderful to be here with you all this morning. Thank you for coming. I'm glad the weather wasn't too bad. I know they have it worse uh, in central Maine, so we, we don't have it too bad down here this morning. Um, so today we're going to uh, jump back into the book of Acts. We took a couple of months off from Acts for our Christmas um, sermon series, and so we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. If you remember um, two months ago, we were in Acts chapter 9 with the conversion of Saul, the apostle Saul, into the, uh, actually was an apostle whenever he was Saul. He was a murderer whenever he was Saul. But he had a encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and this persecutor of, of the church became a planner of the church, the apostle, the, uh, the persecutor Saul becoming the apostle Paul. Today we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10, and we're going to uh, read and learn about the story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter being the apostle of the church, the leader of the church at this time. And Cornelius, as we're going to see, becomes the first Gentile convert, the first person outside of the Jewish ethnicity to be saved. That's what we're going to see today. But before we get there, I wanted, as I was thinking about what we see with Cornelius, uh, I, I was thinking about um, sort of lessons from history and where we see um, what we're going to see today already happening in the world around us. In the time following World War II, after 1945, none of you guys were alive. When were you born, Ed? I don't know. Okay, no, you definitely weren't alive then. No one's born in the 40s. No, you're way. Sorry, I didn't. My, let's see, my grandpa was born in 1930, so no one. So you're probably the oldest person here. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry to... There might be. Free coffee? Free, coffee? Free pizza after the service for you. Okay. So this is... None of us were alive after World War II. Not even born. Not even thought about. This was a time of great tension in America. If you remember your uh, history, American history books. Uh, the time after World War II was known as the Cold War. It was a time where there were competing ideologies in this world. Where would the world go? What direction would they go? Um, would they go the way of communism and the Soviet Union, the USSR? Or would they go the way of capitalism, the USA, Western Europe versus Eastern Europe? If maybe you've heard of the Iron Curtain. It's, um, the, uh, Winston Churchill famously talked about the Iron Curtain in his, in his speeches, that the world was split between these two ideologies. And there's really a power vacuum, if you think about it, after World War II, after the Nazis were defeated. Who was going to lead the world. And nowhere was this tension best expressed than in the construction of the Berlin Wall. And so here's a picture of the Berlin Wall. This was built in Germany. Germany, again, was split in two into East Germany and West Germany. And the Berlin Wall on one side was East Germany. On the other side was West Berlin, which is the capital of West Germany. On one side, you had represented communism, what we would say is the bad guys, right? On the other side, capitalism, the USA, what we would say is the good guys. And so um, this, this wall was built in 1961, um, and represented the division of the world. It wasn't until 30 years later, on June 13th of 1990, that this wall was destroyed. You can go to the next picture there. The revolutions of Eastern Europe in surrounding states outside of East Germany, these states fell that were part of the USSR, the Soviet Union. They 
fell, they had revolutions. East Germany followed. And in 1913, I'm sorry, in June 13th of 1990, the Berlin Wall came down. That tension that was throughout the entire world ceased as the threat of communism was, de- was defeated and Germany was reunited. Maybe you remember that. And Ronald Reagan, a few years before here, for this time, famously said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And that's exactly what happened. The wall was torn down. Today in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see the tearing down of a different type of wall. Not a physical wall, but one that brought even greater separation, even um, even worse separation, a wall that's lasted much longer than the wall of Berlin. That wall is the wall that separated the Gentiles from the promises of God. God had a people, the Jewish people, that he gave his word, he gave his covenant, he gave his promises. The rest of the world, Gentiles, that's us, we're Gentiles, not not Jewish folks. We were on the outside looking in. We were separated. There was a wall that separated us from these promises of God. This is what it says in Ephesians 2 verse 12. We read this before the service. It said, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were in East Germany looking over the wall, trying to make it into West Berlin, trying to escape the threat of communism, but we know a much worse threat, the threat of sin, the threat of death, the threat, the threat of separation from God. This was our situation as Gentiles outside of the promises of God, aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to these promises. But it was a barrier that existed that was destined to fall, just like the Berlin Wall fell. So this barrier fell. And Ephesians 2.13 tells us how. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Today in Acts chapter 10, we are going to see this wall come down through the preaching of the gospel by this man Peter, preaching to a man, a Gentile man named Cornelius, Cornelius and his family. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 10 is that the simple message of the gospel, that Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave to save all who place their faith in him from their sin, This simple message of the gospel breaks down barriers in ways that are both seen and ways that are unseen. This is a revolution that we see in Acts chapter 10. This is a a changing of the guard, an upside down, a flip from everything that history had up until this point. Everything changes here in Acts chapter 10, and we are the beneficiaries of that. We are here because of what happens in Acts chapter 10, 2,000 years ago. And so we're going to read it real quick. We're going to read the whole story. It's a long story. It's um, verses 1 to 48. It's the whole chapter. So just bear with me. I'm going to read it for us, and then um, we're going to jump in, okay? So we have the text here. You can pull it up in your um, Bible if you'd like. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, 
a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, and he said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa to bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with uh, one Simon, a tanner. So the other, there are two Simons here. One's Peter, the other is a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius has this vision. He sees this angel. The angel tells him to go find Peter. And Cornelius goes and sends people to go find Peter. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And Peter became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened up, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing, that, and the thing was taken up into heaven at once. So Peter, unrelated to Cornelius, has his own vision of this sheet with all these animals on it. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly uh, perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry from Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason of your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. Um, so the, the folks from Cornelius um, meet with Peter there and they deliver the message. The next day, Peter rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, uh, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. He said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So then I was sent for, I came, uh, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He said, Cornelius, your, prayers, uh, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, his lodging in the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Cornelius makes it to, uh, sorry, Peter makes it to Cornelius' house 
Cornelius says, what do you need to tell me? Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth. He said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who, who he had chosen um, by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his family. Verse 44. While Peter was was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed. So the Jewish believers, they were made at what, amazed at what was happening to these Gentiles. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water, bab, uh, withhold water for baptizing these people who, are, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So a long story here, but a very important story, a turning point. That's what this story is. It is a turning point. If you remember, I know it's been a little bit since we've been in the book of Acts, but if you remember from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, whenever we start this book, Jesus has appeared to his disciples. He's already been crucified. He's already been resurrected. And he appears to the church. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he gives a very, very important mandate before he leaves. And this is what he says to the church. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So this is the game plan. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, I want you to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, that's what they do in Acts chapter 2 verse uh, in Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter 7 the church is a witness in Jerusalem and then in Acts chapter 8 they are a witness in Judea and Samaria and now Acts chapter 9 Acts chapter 10 they begin this final leg of ministry they're his witnesses to the ends of the earth that's what we see starting in Acts chapter 9 and continuing in Acts chapter 10 this is the final leg of ministry and this is one that has not ended yet if you think about it not everyone has heard the name of Jesus there are people in this world that have never heard of Jesus Christ at all i think it's like should have looked it up. I think it's like five five thousand people groups or something. They they keep track of. It. There's a number in the you know the deepest jungles of the Amazon. You know in in the islands of of Indonesia. There, there are people that have never heard, and so they they got Jerusalem figured out. They got Judea and Samaria figured out. But now they have like ninety nine point nine percent of the rest of the world to figure out, and we haven't completed this 
yet. We are still in the final leg of ministry here. But it all starts with this man, Cornelius. Cornelius the centurion. Cornelius this army guy. As history will show, Peter is the start of this final leg of ministry. We saw the Apostle Paul last time we were in Acts. He continues this final leg of ministry, but it all starts here with Peter and this man Cornelius. And the first thing, our first point that we're going to see is that the spread of the gospel is both seen and unseen. The spread of the gospel is both seen and unseen. So let's look at this man Cornelius. Going back to um, Verse, verse 1 here. Verses 1, I think, to 4. Yeah, right here. So who is this man? Well, first off, he's not a Jew. We've already established that. First thing it says is that he's a centurion. What's a centurion? He's a soldier. And he's not just a common everyday soldier. He's a soldier that is over a hundred other soldiers. Kind of like a captain in an army. That's where it gets centurion from. Um, he was Fairly well off, these centurions that I, I read, they made about five times what the average day laborer made. So he was you know, well-respected, well-off, fairly affluent type of guy. But he was also not just successful, he was also a good guy. So it says in verse 2, that he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household, that he gave alms generously to the people around him, that he prayed constantly to God. So he was an upright guy. He is what we would call a God-fearer, a God-fearer. So we've seen this already with the Ethiopian eunuch before. A God-fearer was a non-Jew that worshipped the God of Israel and tried as best they could to follow the God of Israel, to follow the the Jewish God. Um, He was not a full convert. Typically, especially for guys, circumcision was a big deal, right? They wouldn't do that. And so circumcision was the way that you became a full convert into Judaism. You had to be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. Cornelius wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to go that far. Um, But he still worshiped this Lord, this God. He still prayed. He still gave alms. He still sought to be uh, benevolent to the poor. And this is what it says in verse 4, after this, he has this vision of this messenger of God. It says, he stared at this messenger of God in terror. And he says, what is it, Lord? And the messenger said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. What does that mean? God saw him. God saw Cornelius. Even though Cornelius was outside of the covenant promises of God, he was not a Jew. He was not ethnically a part of the chosen people. God still saw him. And he saw him because he lived an upright life. He, the word here is memorial. Okay, memorial. Your, your prayers, your, your uh, alms have ascended as memorial before God. This word memorial is sacrificial language. What do I mean by that? This word is the same word that is used to describe burnt offerings in the Old Testament. Whenever the Israelites would worship God, they would offer a burnt offering to God. They get a 
sheep, a goat, an ox, whatever. And they burn it on the altar. And it says in the Old Testament that this was a pleasing aroma to God. That the smell of the, you know, the burnt meat would come up to God and it was pleasing to him. Not that God liked the smell of burnt meat. Uh, I like the smell of burnt meat. I don't know about you guys. Maybe not burnt, but you know, nice barbecue, whatever. But it was pleasing to God, not because he likes hamburgers, right? But because of what the sacrifice represented. The sacrifice and the smell represented someone who was following the word. It represented someone who was trying to live a righteous life upright life, who was trying to follow as best they could the God of Israel. That's why it was pleasing to him. And what it's saying is that Cornelius's prayers, his almsgiving, what he's doing ascends to God just as if he were offering a sacrifice. God receives what Cornelius is doing in the same way that he receives something, you know, whenever a lamb is slaughtered and burned or an ox or whatever the sacrificial system required of the time. And he sees them. God sees this man. He responds to this man. And then he sends Peter to preach the gospel to this man. We said the spread of the gospel is both seen and unseen. Well, here it's seen and it's seen in this way. The spread of the gospel to the Gentile world starts by God seeing this man Cornelius, who no one else saw. The, the God saw this man before the church saw this man. Okay, We don't see Peter taking an initiative with the Gentiles. We don't see that. We don't see the church taking an initiative with the Gentiles. No, God sees this Gentile and then sends Peter to this man. This man was not seen by the priests. He wasn't seen by the Pharisees. He wasn't seen by anyone, any religious person. No, he was first seen by God. God sees this man and God saves this man. And I, I think it's, it's really sort of convicting whenever I turn that on myself and ask, well, what do I see? And what do you see? Do you see people that are outside of God's reach? Whenever you look at this world, do you see people and you're like, well, that person would never believe in Jesus, right? <laughs> that person is so far gone. There is no way that person is ever, if I, I, I might as well not even reach out to that person because they're never going to believe. Is that what we see? Whenever we look around, do we see people's eternities at all? Are we mindful of people's eternal destinies? I, I, whenever I first started following Jesus, I knew that my mind and my life was changing because whenever I would watch movies, I would think, I wonder if this person's going to heaven. I wonder if this person would, would listen to the gospel. I wonder, you know, I, my view of people kind of changed. I grew up in a, in a, um, uh, my dad was a pastor, a godly household, a Christian household. Whenever I started following Jesus, I really wasn't sure about my siblings, if they really knew Christ. Whenever Jesus really changed me, he changes, and you, he changes the way we see. He changes the way we look at people. He changes how we perceive this world. He makes us see people that maybe we hadn't seen before. The spread of the gospel is seen. It changes the way we see, how we truly, really see people. That's what we see here. That's what God, God shows us here. But the spread of the gospel, it's also unseen. And at this point, this 
this idea of an unseen spread of the gospel is more from Peter's perspective. Peter is the one that is going to preach the gospel to this guy, right? God comes to Cornelius. He says, I'm going to send Peter to you. This man, Peter, go get him. He's going to give you a message here. But Peter has no idea that any of this is going on. God is tilling the ground here. God is spreading the work of the gospel. God is preparing this man, Cornelius, to receive Jesus through Peter. And Peter has no idea that this is happening. Okay? An unseen work of the gospel. This is what it reminds me of. Matthew 13, 33. This is a weird parable. And we're going to work through it. This Jesus telling a parable, telling a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, is like leaven. So yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. What does that mean? Well, whenever you put yeast in dough, it makes it puff up, right? You put the yeast in there, you kind of, you know, you know, beat it up, whatever, put it in the bowl. You leave it there for an hour. You come back. The whole thing's huge. Me and Hannah watched that uh, great British baking show. It's really a good show. I'm not a fan of those cooking shows. That's a good one. I don't know if you guys have seen it before. But that's what they do. They make bread. They beat it up, put yeast in it. They put it in the, in the um, but I have, I have this right, right? That's what they do. Knead it. That's the word. They knead it. Knead the dough. They put it in a glass bowl, and then they, let it, they proof it. They let it proof, right? And so after an hour, the whole thing rises. And looking at the dough you don't see the yeast working. The yeast is in there. It's working. It's, it's doing this, you know, it creates bubbles or whatever, air. I don't know, I'm sure the, the science behind it. But it's working in there, but you have no idea. And then all of a sudden, an hour later, the whole thing is puffed up. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. That God is at work in people without us even realizing it. That the kingdom of God is like yeast in bread. And the seeds are planted, and God, through time, is watering those seeds. And maybe in, there's one instance where someone, you know, they, they go through this situation, they respond differently than the way that they might have responded before. Maybe it's a husband and a wife, and they're having an argument, and maybe the husband's a jerk most of the time, but this time he's not. Okay, that's a little bit of progress. The yeast is working in the heart of the person, the yeast works in ways that are unseen. That's how the gospel works in people. That's what's happening now. God is working in Cornelius' life. He's using Peter to do it. Peter has no idea it's happening. God is the one that does it. That's the work of the kingdom of God. The spread of the gospel is, is unseen. I, uh, a, a good story of this is whenever I was in college, we took a trip. I went to, grew up in Mississippi, went to college down there. Um, we took a trip to Providence, Rhode Island, to Johnson and Wells University, a culinary school up there. And we were, our uh, Christian uh, group from our school was teaming up with the Christian group at Johnson and Wells in Providence. We were doing outreach stuff, you know, just kind of helping them out. And this one kid on the trip from Johnson and Wells got saved. He, he believed in Jesus because of our, our ministry there. And the way it happened was this other girl was sharing the gospel, a girl from our group, was sharing the gospel with this dude, this random guy from the university over here. 
the kid that got saved got saved because he was just over here eavesdropping. He, he just overheard the conversation. This girl was talking to this guy, but this guy got saved because he heard what she was saying to this guy. God was working in ways unseen. This girl, Hannah, she was just talking to this other person. But it, that's how God did it, right? That's how God did it. And this kid is saved. And I actually saw him probably six months ago. He's working at a church. He might be, I think he's trying to become a pastor or start a church. God works in ways unseen. God is working without us even realizing it. The, the truth is, it's all an inward thing, right? We can't, we look on the outside, but we can't see the work of God on the inside. And so if we're going to kind of wrap a bow on this, what we can say just from Cornelius is that the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth happens first whenever we see people as God sees them. And second, whenever we trust that God is working in ways that we cannot see. Okay? The spread of the gospel happens whenever we see people as God sees them and trust that, is, that God is working in ways that we cannot see. We cannot see. So that's, that's the first thing we see with Cornelius in these first eight verses. But then moving on to the next section, verses 9 to 33, and we're really hitting the high points. There's, just, there's a lot of stuff in here, but we're really just hitting the high points. The second thing we see, and we've already kind of touched on this, is that the gospel breaks down walls. The gospel breaks down barriers. So Cornelius is approached by the angel. He sends for Peter. Peter comes and then to him um, eventually. But before that happens, Peter has this strange vision in verses 10 to 15. And we can go there. So Peter's hungry. I'll just quickly read it for us. Peter's hungry. He wants something to eat. But he falls into this trance. He sees this massive sheet from heaven with all these different animals on there, reptiles, birds, um, all types of animals. And then God tells him, he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And then Peter says, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice says to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. So Peter has this vision of these animals on a sheet and he hears God tell him to eat these animals. Well, why does Peter react the way he does? Why is this wrong? Why is Peter like, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I can do that. Well, going back to the Old Testament, if you remember the, all the laws and rules they had, they had to abide by a very strict diet. Very strict diet. Um, they, didn't eat, they didn't eat bacon, right? The, the Jews did not eat pigs. They didn't eat shrimp. They didn't eat birds. They didn't eat reptiles. They didn't eat any of that stuff. That was against the law. If you want, you can go to Leviticus 11 because they have all the animals listed there. There's a whole, it would be tough, right? Bacon is good, right? You know what I mean? Like, I love bacon. My cousin doesn't like bacon. He's the only person in the world I've met that doesn't like bacon. Weird. Carly doesn't like bacon. Weird. There's some weird people in the world. But... But the Jews, they couldn't eat it because of what God said. But then God says, hey, Peter, go eat bacon. Peter's like, what? I can't eat bacon. That's against the law. I cannot do that. Lord, I've never eaten bacon before. I would never think about eating bacon my entire life. What are you talking about here? For Peter, this vision was unthinkable to him, what God was commanding him to do. What's going on? 
what does this vision represent? What is going on here? Well, what's going on is this. God, after the gospel, after Jesus, is overturning all of these laws that existed in the Old Testament. All of the sacrificial, sacrificial laws. If you ever wondered, why don't we kill goats anymore? Why don't we kill lambs anymore? Why don't we celebrate these feasts anymore? Why don't, why don't, why don't we get to eat bacon? All this stuff. God has overturned all of that. This is a revolution. All of the old stuff, all of the laws of the Old Testament are done away with. Now through Christ, these laws no longer apply. We aren't made clean by the food we eat. We are made clean through the blood of Jesus. To the Jews, their righteousness was found through the law. They kept the law. They kept the festivals. They did all these things. They ate the food of the law. And with all these laws, a barrier was set up. If you were not a people that abided, abided by the law, then you were common. You were unclean. We couldn't hang out with you. I can't come to your house and eat your food and sit down at your table. A barrier was set up between Jews and Gentiles. A barrier is set up between Jews and Gentiles. But now God is saying that barrier has come down in this vision. Verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. So God has made all food clean. But what we're going to see is that Peter makes a connection that it's not just food that are made clean, but also people. Also people. I don't know if you guys remember the story of the, um, of the leper, right, in, in, the, in the Gospels. This leper, it would be tough to be a leper back in the day, especially the Old Testament. They had to live outside of the camp. They, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, if someone was coming their way. They were outcasts in Jerusalem. And this leper comes up to Jesus, and he says, the leper says to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. The outstanding thing is this. If a leper touched you, then you were unclean. A leper's unclean. They can't do the sacrifices. They can't do any of that. If you got touched by a leper, you were unclean. But if Jesus touches a leper, he's not unclean. The leper, the leper becomes clean. He reverses it. God makes unclean people clean. God changes it. The leper is now clean. The food is now clean. These people, the Gentiles, are now clean through the gospel. Verse 28, this is what it says. Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. This is the, the revolution of the gospel that now we are not made righteous, we are not made clean by God by our own works, but solely through the blood of Jesus. And because of that, the division between Jew and Gentile is gone. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Jesus is our peace. He has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The division between Jew and Gentile is broken down. How did, he do, how did he do that? By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. How did Jesus bring peace? By getting rid of all the laws. We are not made righteous by the laws. 
We are not made righteous by trying to be a good person anymore. It's, it's gone. It's done. The laws are gone. The gospel is here. We are made clean. And so the gospel breaks down religious barriers. That's, that's the main point here. A door is open to the Gentiles for salvation. And so now Peter is put in a very interesting situation. He has never entered the house of a Gentile. He's never sat down and eaten, you know, bacon, the food of a Gentile before. But now he understands the truth of the, of the gospel, that now he can do that. What this means for him is that he is pushed outside of his comfort zone. Whenever I think about the, um, the Berlin Wall, and you have that wall there, and it's finally broken down. Can you imagine stepping through that wall, where, you know, the, where the wall was, entering the other side? There must have been a lot of joy, right? Excitement there. But at the same time, it must have been very strange. This has been out of, you know, out of bounds for 30 years. And now we're coming, coming across this barrier. It's the same thing for Peter here. He is stepping outside of his comfort zone. He is stepping into a situation that is totally unfamiliar to him. Eating with a Gentile, sitting down with a Gentile. I think an application here is that if the gospel is going to spread, we have to get out of our comfort zones. We have to walk through those barriers that have come down. Me, I'm a comfort type person. I don't like getting outside my comfort zone. I think some people kind of like that, or maybe your comfort zone is just bigger. Some people have a smaller comfort zone. Maybe some people have a bigger comfort zone. For me, after Sundays, I like to go home and watch football. That's what I want to do. Like, that's on my list. I only have like two or three more weeks of that, and then it's done. So I don't know what I'm going to do after the Super Bowl happens. But I like my comfort zone. But if you're going to follow Jesus, he has not called you to a life of comfort. He just hasn't. It's, it's, it goes against the calling of the gospel. Where God works that I've seen is whenever we get over our comfort zones, go out of our comfort zones. I... Um, I got to do that. You know, we've all done that. But uh, one example of that is a guy right here in Gorham. He doesn't live here anymore. This guy, um, he made his living, uh, sold marijuana out of his basement. Um, you know, tatted up guy, which is fine, the tattoos or whatever. Um, but not a guy that I would, you know, kind of get coffee with and hang out with. Um, but what happened is I had met him at like a funeral service. Paula knows who I'm talking about. And we started talking about Jesus he said, well, I think Jesus was like some type of um, crazy cult figure who was just trying to get all of his followers killed. I was like, I think you're wrong. Let's get, get together and talk about that. So I go to his house. We hang out. I, talk, I share the gospel with him, go down to his basement where he grows his weed. I walk into his man cave. There's a picture of the Last Supper there. You guys know the picture. Jesus has two devil horns on top of his head. That's the first thing I see, right, whenever I walk into his little man cave there. Very uncomfortable. Not something I'm used to, right? Not something I'm used to. But I had an audience for Christ. I had an audience that would listen. I don't, he never, he didn't come to faith, I don't believe. But he had an opportunity. A barrier was broken down. I wasn't such, such a, you know... Um, tight-wad religious person, I couldn't be in, you know, in the presence of sin. No, it, that's gone. Th those barriers are gone. Everyone is offered the salvation 
of Jesus because he has broken those barriers down in his body. But if we're going to go through those barriers that are broken down, we got to get out of our comfort zone to do it. We got to get out of our comfort zone to do it. And that's what I learned there with, with this guy. And I encourage you to do the same to get out of your comfort zone. Peter, he, he saw the vision. He saw that Cornelius was clean through Jesus. He had an opportunity to share the gospel. He got out of his comfort zone. And the final thing we see is that whenever we do that, whenever he has done that, we are given an opportunity to speak this simple, life-changing gospel message. That's exactly what Peter does here. Verses 39 to 42. This is what it says. Peter, he preaches to them. He says, we are witnesses of all that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. The word that sticks out here witnesses. We are witnesses of all that he did. He didn't appear to all in verse 41, but God chose us as witnesses. Remember the mandate in Acts 1 verse 8, that you will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Peter here, as he has the opportunity to start this, says that we are witnesses. And he points Cornelius and his family to two specific historical events the crucifixion, and the resurrection. We saw Jesus crucified. We saw him resurrected. And he has shown us the truth that salvation is for all people through his name. He wasn't a ghost. We ate with him. We drank with him. The tomb is empty. That's what we have to point people to. The crucifixion is a real event in history. The resurrection is a real event in history and it's historical moments that we all have to decide if we believe in them or not. Whenever I talk to people, that's why I ask them, where's the body of Jesus? Where is the body? If it's not there, what happened to it? If it's resurrected, then what does that mean? Maybe he truly was the one that he said he was. Peter points them to the cross. He points them to the empty tomb. And this is what it says in Ephesians 2, going back to our um, scripture there. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The division has been broken down in Jesus. They are not strangers anymore, but they are citizens in God's kingdom. God has opened up a door to the Gentiles, to us, not just the Gentiles in Acts 10, but the Gentiles of Gorham, right? The Gentiles of Wyndham, the Gentiles of Scarborough, the Gentiles of Falmouth, the Gentiles of Maine. This message is the same message. It does not change. To make strangers into friends, to make foreigners and outsiders into citizens of an eternal kingdom that will not end. That's what we are called to do. That's what we are called to preach. And so let's do this, right? This simple message of the gospel to see people, to trust that God is working in ways that we cannot see, to reach out, to get out of our comfort zones, to break barriers in our lives so that people would call upon the name of Jesus, right? Let's pray.
Dear Lord, just want to thank you for um, your grace, God. Just want to thank you for this word from uh, Peter here um, that we see. The revolution here, Lord, the upside down that you've brought, um, that you open up a way. That's, this is all of us, Lord. We were all on the outside looking in, and you have opened up a way to us, Lord. So I just thank you for that. I thank you for um, your immense eternal grace that we have not been left out in the cold, but you have made a way for us in Jesus. And so I just lift his name up to you this morning. I love you, Lord. We love you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. And it's all in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.